Um, what a privilege to speak on the first week of our term or our year back at G2. Good times. And like we've said, woo. Um, not like we've said woo, but like we've said, we're looking at Ephesians for uh, the next few weeks. That's our opening as we think about being united with one another, being united with God. So let's listen. I'll read the verses to you that we're um, going to be looking at today. It's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who are the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. I'm just going to pray now before um, I speak, just for us to allow that to sink in. Jesus, thank you that you are here with us. Thank you that you speak through your word. We just acknowledge now that you are already present and that you are our God. Wherever we've come from, God, whatever we believe, whether we follow you, whether we're not sure, God, we just admit now that we want to find out more about you just by being here. So speak to us. I pray that the words that I say, God, you would split so that every single person in this room would hear from you in a personal and individual way. Amen. So when I first started the job that I'm doing now, um, which is based in Leeds, I was getting the train every day. Um, and there's like two or three trains that I would always get from York that I could get to um, to get me to work on time, like within kind of half an hour, 45 minutes. So I got into a pretty like comfortable routine. I've now stopped getting the train, interestingly, because um, it's very expensive. Um, so those of you who know me or have ever been relying on me for something or waiting for me for something will know that I am absolutely shocking at timekeeping. I'm always running late. Like, the other week, I genuinely forgot that time moved forward. And lots of people are like, how can you forget that time keeps moving? And I'm like, I just did. I was like, it's 9.22, and that means it's always going to be 9.22. <laughs> and then I was like, oh my gosh, it's 9.35. Um, so one particular day of many days when I was running late to get my train, um, I got to the station and like pelted through it to get to my usual platform. And now I think, but some people might disagree with me, there are some platforms in York that are northbound. 
There are some platforms in York that are southbound, and there are some platforms in York which are both bound. So this happened to be what the one of the trains that I always got that was on the platform which was both bound. Um, and so I like, was like running through the station. I was like, I don't want to be late for work. Like glanced at the board, saw it said Leeds, jumped on the train, got myself a seat, heard the whistle blow, door shut. And then I was like, man, nailed it. <laughs> but then we began to move. And you know that thing where you're on a plane or a train and you don't know whether it's your thing that's moving or the other train that's moving? At that time, I'm like, that's weird. <laughs> that train's going, oh my gosh, I'm going in the... So I was like, okay, we're going northbound. You always go southbound to Leeds in case you don't get the train every day. You always go southbound to Leeds. And we were going north. And I was like, but I'm so optimistic. I was like, new route. New route to Leeds. <laughs> Just go all the way around, like, that is fine. There's a new route. And then the train conductor cheerily comes over the tonneau and goes, welcome to our service to Scotland. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh. Um, but what's really funny is you can't really panic because you're in a public place and no one else knows that you're on the wrong train. So you just have to fake it. You're like, uh-huh, next stop, Darlington. Here we go. <laughs> this was so worth getting up at half six in the morning for. So I just kind of sat there being like, um, so I just had to sit and pretend like that was the actual plan and email my boss and be like, hey, really sorry I'm going to be late. I've got a, a train to Darlington. <laughs> um, and I called Ben being like, guess where I am? Darlington. Anyway, so then I just had to end my train. Uh, long story, had to just go to Darlington, go to the next uh, train back to York. Nightmare. But I think it was something to do with my train was running late. It's, do you know what? That's not a very funny bit of the story. Let's cut that. Let's edit that out. So anyway, <laughs> I was so sure of my destination, and I was in such a hurry to get there that I didn't really stop to properly check if I was going the right way, because I was so used to the routine, bored of it even, that I was complacent, and I assumed that I would get to my desired destination, as always, because I knew what I was doing and where I was going. Obviously not. And so we're back to G2 to start another year, and we know what it looks like. We know how each service is going. This is a quiet one. It's the beginning of September. There's not that many people. You know how it's going. You know where we're going. But we're back into that routine, and whether you've been at work all summer, like a lot of us have been, um, September still, even if you haven't been off for very long, it brings that sense of back into normal, back into usual, same old. And if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you might have had an amazing summer faith-wise. Or maybe you're just like, actually just been a bit down, a bit nothingy, and you're just looking to ask questions and grow more in faith this term. That's not going to balance. It was a good idea, though. So this week, um, I was reminded of that story because I think God is calling us out of complacency and back to basics. He's asking us to examine who he is. And just to stop there, you see, we get so used to trying to get to the destinations of amazing worship or deep and thoughtful prayer or of what God might do or of what God's plans are for us that we fail to check in again just to look at who he is. Every week we talk and we sing about the things of God and we're certain we're headed in the right direction to our desired destination of experiencing him or hearing from him or our desired destination of growing in faith 
or seeing God move in our lives, but we can end up somewhere entirely different from where we expected because we didn't stop to look at who he is, who we're traveling with, who we worship, and who we pray to. And that's the one God. So back to our passage. It kind of makes me feel like, I don't know about you, like I've never read the Bible before. Do you know what I mean? Like it's so dense and theological and every word is like significant and heavy with meaning that like reading it through, I've had to, I'm like, I'm still reading it through to kind of understand it and to pull it apart. And this passage is um, a doxology. So that means it's used as a hymn of praise in like liturgy and um, traditional worship across the church. Um, So it's almost like a song um, or poetry, which makes a bit more sense of why it's worded in this particular way. So Paul, the writer of this passage and of this whole letter, who, as Sarah said on the video, was one of the first ever leaders of the church, um, opens his letter with this. And it's really tempting to rush through it, just like I pelted through the station, um, because we want to get to the meaty, gritty bit of the letter where Paul, tell us what to do. Um, But before any of that, Paul puts God, the one God, at center stage. He looks at who God is before delving into where might God want to take us. And that's our mandate this week. Forgive the metaphor, but before the train of G2 pulls out of our station for this year, with all our good ideas, thank you, with all our good ideas, with all our metaphors, with all our words, with all our plans and initiatives, and this is what we're going to do, and this is who we're going to be, do we know what direction we're going in? Because we get ourselves in the right direction when we look at our one God, and we re-examining, we re-examine where we're going so we don't end up somewhere totally different from where we thought God was going to take us. And before the train of your own life pulls out of the station, I want you and I to re-examine the God who this is all for, who he is, because that's the only worthwhile destination of our lives. It's who we're here for, and it's who Paul rivets our attention to at the beginning of this letter, to the church at Ephesus and G2 here in York. So we're going to pull apart this passage and slow down our pace. I'm going to go through it kind of sentence by sentence, verse by verse, so we can catch a closer glimpse of who God is. So let's start going through together. So it starts with, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. When I read this with Ben, um, Ben was like, Do you know what Paul's like? He's kind of like a hype man. And I feel not young or cool enough to know what a hype man is. But it's when he's like, He's the greatest, He's the champion. He brought all things into unity. This is Jesus. It's like that. And I just felt like I had to commit to it. So you have to see this passage almost in that kind of context. It's not just like, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms. It's like, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed... I'm just doing a posh version of the hype thing. But you see where I'm going. That's, that's, that's like the, the nature of, of what Paul's trying to do. He's like, whoa, let's just look at who God is. How good is he? What's the point? Like, he's not just saying it because it's something to say. Paper was probably expensive. Like, he, he's using it well. He's like, what, what do I want to say? That's like the first thing I want to say to these people who I haven't seen in months. 
Why bother mentioning this? So he starts by praising God, and he drops in something about the nature of God. So he's saying he is one God, God and Father, but he's saying he's also Jesus. So he's the God and Father, so he's the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, so he's also Jesus. So God is not just God is one, but he's three in one, because later on he goes to talk about the Holy Spirit, who is also God. So God is the one God, but there's three within him in relationship, three um, characters within God, three manifestations of God, which is God the Father, Jesus, who was human on earth, but fully God, and the Holy Spirit, who lives in us. In some ways, you might want to think of it as like God is the Father. Jesus is, is the Son who stands alongside us. Because when he says, our Lord Jesus Christ, I'm like, that's such an aligning of going. Jesus is like this brother and friend. He's our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and, he, and he mentions that God is his Father as well. Um, and then there's the Holy Spirit who is within us and lives in us. He's like our, like our breath within us. And then he goes on to say that God blesses us in the heavenly realms. And this isn't just like a far-off wonderland called heaven. It's not like just the place that you go when you die. Um, The heavenly realms is like the dwelling place of God. And God is everywhere. So there's a lot of tension and and, um, contradiction in the passage. But it's the dwelling place of God, like the place where God is ultimately king, where his reign and his presence is constant. Um, and, And God has blessed us and ordained us with this authority in the heavenly realms because it's like he hasn't just uh, like blessed us like just on earth in this place in this hall he's like I bless he's blessed us in the heavenly realms with this authority which is like over the earth and beyond time and in eternity the heavenly realms so then what is every spiritual blessing in Christ let's go on to read the next bit for he chose us in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. So that's the first kind of set of spiritual blessings. So we're firstly blessing that we are chosen, we are holy, and we are blameless, and we are in his sight. So that's kind of packed full in terms of there's already four spiritual blessings. Because God looks at you and it's the only gaze that matters. The way God looks at us tells us who we are. And when God looks at you, he sees you as holy. And holy means set apart, beautiful, made whole, close to him and in his image. We resemble God. When he looks at us, he's like, oh, you look like me. So we're made holy by God's sight, not by crawling over broken glass to plead for mercy or being punished for the stupid things we do or the habits that we can't break, but we stand just within God's line of sight. And that's what makes us holy. That's what makes us blameless. And not only that, if you go back earlier, he has chosen us for it. So it's not like God's just looking at everyone and making them holy. God's like chosen you to look at. Of all the things that God could look at, he is looking at you. And when he looks at you, he makes you holy. It's not an accident. There's more spiritual blessings. Paul carries on. Next verse. He, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship or to be his children through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. And the one he loves is um, Jesus. Paul's referring to 
Paul's referring to. In love. God is in love with you. In love, he made us his children. That's essentially what Paul's opening up that sentence with. And predestined can be a bit of a tricky word. There's so much that we could delve into that's underneath it that is more than worth discussion. Um, But I'm going to keep whipping through because I didn't decide to talk about predestination. But maybe another time. Um, But predestined is not just about us having a choice. It's, It's not about us not having a choice, rather. Um, like, let's just see that the God that we're focusing on, the one God, he, what Paul's saying is that he decided your destiny before all of time. He decided your destiny to be his child. He decided that your destiny was to be unconditionally loved. He decided to adopt you and to choose you and to make you his heir. And then Paul goes on to say, how did he do this? He did this through Jesus. So adoption to sonship through Jesus, through his life on earth as human and his death and resurrection. But then what's interesting is that God says, in a, um, Paul says, in accordance with his pleasure and will. So God did it because he was happy to and because he wanted to. Again, he didn't adopt us begrudgingly because he had to fulfill the job description of being God and part of fulfilling the job description of being God is to adopt everyone. It was his pleasure and his will to do so. And he did it to the praise of his glorious grace. So that means Paul's like exclaiming. It's like God does this to the soundtrack of his grace. It's this, and grace is this free gift. It's God's goodness towards those who don't deserve it, who don't expect it, who have no reason to, to expect that goodness and that rescuing power. And again, he's saying to the praise of his glorious grace. He's saying this is a celebratory act. God giving Jesus to die for us and to rise from the dead is like a Christmas-style gift-giving. That's what Paul's saying. It's not God chewing his own arm off because that's the only option. He's like, have this freely. This is a gift. I'm happy to give it to you. It's my pleasure and my will because I love you so much. So that's another characteristic or behavior as we focus on the one God. He gives us his grace in celebration and freedom. Next little bit of the passage. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. So Paul is explaining what Jesus' sacrifice meant and and what it achieved. And this is another spiritual blessing. And and Paul is really like pushing it home. What's the word? Hammering it home. Thank you. I was thinking hamming. Um, hammering at home, um, that is, this is not a small or humdrum gift. It is rich and lavish. We are redeemed. This means rescued from slavery to anything else. We're forgiven. So again, God looks at you and says, you don't owe me anything. Your debt is clear and your heart is clean. It's a lavish gift. As we get to this kind of, I don't know whether it's midway through, but just partway through, don't you need reminding of this? I just I'm be really honest with you and level with you. I just get really bored of following Jesus. I get, I get really bored of being a Christian because actually it's because I've forgotten who he is. Because I read these kind of passages and I'm like, because oh, he died for me, because he's a great guy, because he loves me. But I forget that I'm being invited into friendship with this guy, the, the guy that Paul is hyping up. How can you be bored of a gift which is as rich and lavish as that. 
Why would you not want to hang out with someone who gives you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms? Why would you not want to thank someone who gave you the most impossibly lavish and rich gift? Because my answer is normally because I don't feel like it. Is that, is that okay? Why would you not want to come back to someone who chooses you time and again? And now, and now, and now he chooses you despite your faults and your brokenness. And despite how boring you are and I am. That's our one God. He chooses us. I'm not trying to guilt trip you because I'm preaching to myself just as much. But just, yeah, I just think this is such a good reminder of like, oh, this is who God is. This is who I'm here for. This is who I exist for. This is who we're praying to. This is who we sing about because otherwise it's, it's for nothing and it is boring. <laughs> Next verse, with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So what's more to all of this stuff, to every spiritual blessing, is that God is letting us in on it. So the mystery of his will is like God's plan, and, the, and, and his plan is for the redemption of the whole of creation and for us through Jesus. So that's what Paul means by the unity of all things under Christ. He's saying that through Jesus, he's bringing everything together. Everything will be united. Everything will be made right. And we are part of this plan that has been set in motion since the beginning of creation. And God is actually telling us about it. It's because we're not his slaves. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, he says, you're my friends. That's why, that's why I tell you about it. That's why I teach you about it. Because I'm not just doing this mysterious stuff behind the curtain, but I'm going, come on in. Join in with the redemption of the whole of creation. So that's when he's talking about he made known to us the mystery of his will. Again, according to his good pleasure. Paul loves saying that God likes doing this. Next verse. In him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. Now, when I first read this, I had to read them all like 10 times to understand exactly what Paul was trying to say. But I was like, Paul just seems to be showing off here. And I did kick off a bit about it because I was like, how are you supposed to preach on something when someone's just showing off? But he, I, the tone is... Um, more like, because uh, he kind of is showing off, but he's more saying like, man, I actually got to be one of the first. It's like, what a, he's like saying, whoa, like what a privilege it is to be brought into God's plan, to have these spiritual blessings and to be one of the first to join in because what he's preaching is the sun's come up, but he's just saying, man, I was one of the people who saw it rise. He's not saying he's better than us. He's not saying, oh, I was one of the first and you're not. It's just that he's like, oh my gosh, I'm in wonder that I'm part of God's story and that I got to join in so soon. Next verse, you were, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. 
So then Paul is going, I was one of the first to join in, but you are part of this as well. It's not first come, first served. Because he's saying that salvation and life with God isn't like this buffet that's run out because the early church got first pickings. We are not just having leftovers, and sometimes it can feel a bit like that. The early church didn't get the best of God because we have the same one God on offer. Paul is saying that those spiritual blessings that he's just run through and being in God is just the same now as it was for Jesus' first followers. That's mind-blowing. You share in this. And he's saying, until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So that's the redemption of all things. That's the, like the end of the plan. That's like to the end of time. He's saying, it's the same for me as it is for you and you and you and you and you for the next thousand years or however long. The same miracles are possible. Salvation is just as dramatic for us as it was for them. The Holy Spirit is just as much in us and is just as powerful. And then Paul rounds it off by saying, it's all to the praise of his glory. He's saying, that's who we worship. That's who we praise, our one God. That's our destination and the purpose for our lives and for our church. So, the spiritual blessings and who God is. So far we've seen from verse three onwards, we are blessed We are made holy and blameless in his sight. We're his children, adopted. He's given us grace in a celebratory way. We're redeemed and forgiven. We are in on God's plan for the world. And then we see we have all of this in overflow, just as the same as Jesus' first followers and the early church, because the promise has not run out. Just notice as you look through those verses on the screen that all of these things are in him. Paul lays it on thick. Every single blessing, every single good thing is only through and in God. Because you might have been reading that passage and you're like, that doesn't really tell us who God is. Just as God's done this for you and that for you. But notice that everything that he does is in him. It's through Christ. Because it's the one God who's sustaining our life moment by moment. He's the only one who makes all of this possible. Jesus, it's the same way as Jesus described himself as a vine and us as the branches coming off it. So we're like grafted into him, we're hidden in him. Don't make the mistake that because Paul is talking about what God has done for us, that this is about us, because it's not. It's about him, it's about being in him. And being in him, we see more of his character and this is who he is. This is the only way that this is a reality. It's through God and in God. So what now? We understand more of who God is through how he's loved us. We've taken time to dwell on these words, to look at the one God more closely. And I wonder what struck you about it. Because there's no obvious application or a neatly fits in a box solution that I can send you home with. But I sense that God um, just wants you to absorb what you've heard and to think about what has particularly struck you about who he is. What have you forgotten about him, or what have you learned for the first time? 